Welcome to the Optimalist Podcast, where we examine just what it takes to ensure humans flourish in the age of AI. I'm Sarah, your host through this exploration of mindfulness, attention, focus, and motivation, all elements of human flourishing. So how do we cultivate them? This week, I am joined by Tammy Musiowski-Borneman. Tammy is the co-author of the book, The Minimalist Teacher. Her workshops, webinars, and coaching support educators in paring down to focus on purpose and priorities. Tammy also writes and speaks on topics of learner engagement and agency. Listen as Tammy and I discuss learner agency, minimalism, and the beauty of white space. All this and more on today's conversation. Yeah. So this executive director role is one of the things that I do kind of, you know, on the sidelines. But in my kind of everyday-ish work, I'm a director of teaching and learning at a small independent school in Kona, Hawaii. And um, so in that role, I'm a teacher coach. And so I support teachers, do professional learning with them and in classrooms and things like that. And then the other part of what I do is based a lot around a book that I co-authored called The Minimalist Teacher. And that is really about, it's it's called The Minimalist Teacher, but it's really for anyone, really. Like I know people who are not educators and have read it, and it's taking principles of minimalism from lifestyles and culture and bringing it into your classroom or your role as an educator. And so I've done a bunch of like webinars and workshops and written a bunch of stuff, other stuff about that. And then kind of parallel to that, I guess, is work around learner agency and how when teachers can kind of really focus on teaching, they become more focused on their learners rather than the stuff that clutters the space, you know, all the space spaces that we have as teachers. So that's like your physical space, as well as your mental space. And so when we can do that, then we we can teach better. And then student engagement increases, and we can teach kids skills and not just focus on content and trying to plow through, you know, like being the deliverer of content, we can really focus on students as people. So that's kind of the bag of work that I do, I guess. So is the, the I guess, work with the learner agencies part of all of this, is that kind of, did it influence your path towards talking a lot and writing about minimalism or was it the other way? Was there something that kind of got you really, because I, I remember when that book came out and, um, yeah. you know, there aren't really a lot of other people in education writing about it that explicitly in that uh-huh. way. And so I'm just wondering where where that impetus came from. Maybe it was your own life or something like that. Yeah. So originally, so my co-author Christina and I actually wrote um, an article on student agency before we wrote this book. And that because we taught at the same school in Singapore and we were, you know, just always talking about teaching and learning and and the idea that we're teaching kids skills to have agency in their learning. And so we ended up writing this article first. But the minimalism piece really came from moving internationally. So I'm from Canada. I've moved to New York City and taught there. Then I moved to Singapore. Now I live in Hawaii. She is Australian and taught in there and in Japan, in Singapore, where we met. Um, then she moved to 
uh, Belgium, and now she's in the Netherlands. So a lot of the lifestyle choices that we've made impact how we teach because, you know, when you're packing up your life, you can't bring everything with you and you shouldn't, right? So right. like you really learn and you're exp experiencing this now with moving into mm -hmm. a smaller space where like you're really looking at the things that you have and determining what adds value to your life. And so when we take that kind of idea, which comes from cultures like Japanese culture and Scandinavian culture, we view things differently. So when rather than just filling up a space because we're moving into a house, do we need to fill the space with things? Probably not unless we it brings us comfort or joy or adds value and has purpose. And so when I moved, you know, I was used to living in like a New York City apartment, like, you know, five, six hundred square feet, another small space in Singapore and then moving to Hawaii, now I'm in a house, which I haven't lived in since the 90s with my parents. <laughs> and right. I'm like, I, you know, it's a much larger space. And there's, there's not much in it. Like I'm, it, yeah. a lot of it is just empty space for me to walk around to like, I have my spots for sure. And it's great to have like different spots for me to work. But um, it's it feels good to have moved into a new spot and not refilled it with stuff. Yeah. And that translates into, sorry, I'm talking a lot, but. Um, oh, no, go ahead. It is a podcast. So, you know. Yeah. But, no, um, I want you talking. <laughs> but but the silent um, portion is coming up. That'd be weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but th that translates when we move into classroom spaces, right? So. Um, or even office spaces. So uh, like uh, any educator listening to this has moved into a classroom that had, that has the former teacher's stuff in it. And that is so daunting and oh exhausting gosh. to stressful. think. It is so yeah. stressful. And like I, when I left the classrooms that I moved from, I didn't leave anything because I didn't want anyone to feel that kind of burden of like cleaning up after someone. And the intention is good, right? Like as a teacher, you want to be helpful to the next person and say like, I use this, so maybe they'll use this, but you don't know that. And we can't assume that they're going to use something that we used. So take it with you or like find another purpose for it. Don't leave it in the stuffed cupboards that, you know, like I can't even imagine like how many schools are just in the US and like imagine all of the, every classroom has stuff stuffed in it that doesn't need to be there. Every once in a while, someone posts a picture, like usually at the end of the school year when they are closing things down for the summer, and they'll post a picture of some random closet or cabinet that's just still existing in their room and has nothing to do with them. And it's right. just like an old closet that no one has even used in five years and, and they right. don't even know what's in it. But who are they to clean it out? Or is it their job to throw out someone else's stuff? Is that person coming back? And it, all, it also does now that I'm listening to you talk, it's when you do move into a new space, no matter what kind of space it is, you know, if you, for thinking of an office or a classroom space, you know, how, dealing with the stuff left over is like, it erases, like negates the whole feeling of moving into something new and starting minimal. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're starting exactly. with something that you didn't even 
bring. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And that, like we mentioned, causes stress for people. Like when I moved from New York City, like public school teaching, loaded classroom with like bodies, desks, stuff in the cupboards. Yeah. And when I moved to my classroom in Singapore, it was a smaller room, but there was like nothing in it. There was not even any classroom library books. The sh shelves were bare. The only thing that the teacher left up was like a little bit of like summer school stuff, but that was easy mm -hmm. to take down. But yeah. I went in there and that made me feel a bit anxious because I was like, well, where's all the stuff? But <laughs> then I realized this is amazing because yeah. I get to build the room with my kids. Like I, there was a few things that, you know, put up, cleaned up the walls and rearranged the furniture a little bit. But I'm like, all I really need to do is just go down to the library and get some books because we had a fully functioning library that we would go to use all the time. So we didn't have to have all the books in the classroom library, which in my classroom in New York was great that we had such a plentiful classroom library, but damn, it took a lot of space, <laughs> like mm -hmm. a lot of room that the kids could have used to not be just stuck at their desks all the time. Right. Yes. And a library books and that kind of thing that you, you do need and you want and you don't want to get rid of. I've been going through that too. I have so many books that I've accumulated in the time that I was away uh -huh. away from here, uh, from where I'm now living. And um, I have one bookshelf. I don't know how many books are on it or that it fits, but I now have so many more. I mean, it's a floor to ceiling bookshelf, so it's very large. But at the same time, I now have a small like dresser that I was going to use for my clothes, but it was too small. So I brought it out here. And if you open it in my living room, it's just filled with books. It's just drawers yeah. of books. But yeah, it, but it's like hidden in a way where it looks like I have this little, like cool piece of furniture, but inside it's books, <laughs> which is kind of nice. Books are, feel different too, right? Because they like bring us knowledge, they bring us comfort. Mm -hmm. But it there is like you do have to go through them though, right? And like one of the things that I do with my friends a lot is like we swap books, and like that's great because then you. You used what you needed from it. You've gathered the knowledge or the notes or whatever, and then you pass it on to someone else. And it, you know, it travels around. Or like even those little free libraries are so amazing. Like you can oh, yes. take your books there and like you don't have to take anything out of it. You can just leave them in there for someone else, which feels really great because, you know, books, we need them. But yeah, it, it's hard to not collect books for sure. Yeah. And and also, yeah, when actually when I was unpacking them here, I I said I, I finally am in this really, really, really aggressive mode of of jumping into having as minimal amount of things as possible. And I've done that little by little every time I've moved. Like I've uh -huh. moved. This is the seventh time in the last six yeah. years that I've moved. That's a lot. And so it's crazy. <laughs> Some of them have been small moves, small. like in the same like in the same. town, like just blocks away. But every single time, like going in and out, I'm like, I feel like I'm throwing out or getting rid of or donating so much stuff. And this time I, and I always avoid the books, but this time I started now that I'm in such a smaller space and I'm really thinking, how do I, how do I store or display what new books I've gotten in the last six months? Like, what am I doing now that I have less space? And I just made myself get rid of stuff that I'm like, all right, I'm going to have to get rid of some of these books. I don't need these books on like colonial Williamsburg um, 
from right that I collected when I was in college because I was really into like costume making. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't, I, I don't. I've been holding on to those memories, but I don't know if I need these books the about book. how to make yeah. how to make costumes from the 17th century. <laughs> Super um, interesting, but I'm not. It is, but I'm not sewing them right now. Right, but you yeah. just made me think. I now have two of those little free libraries in my neighborhood in walking distance that I could start using that as a means to to donate. But what I was also thinking was uh, there's a couple things that I was thinking. First of all, top of my mind, I don't know if you've seen this little mini trend just over the last. I don't know, week, maybe two weeks, but I've seen a couple of articles popping up about people feeling like they're being pulled to do the exact opposite of minimalism. And they're, I'm uh-huh. seeing these headlines. It was two. One was in the Atlantic, I believe. Um, and I saw it repeated twice in the last week. And it was about like, it was some headline about, about clutter being something that makes us human. Like, let's embrace the humanity of our homes or something like that. Sure. And the picture they had associated with it was so stressful that I almost didn't want to open up yeah, the article. Right? I'm like, is this an article telling me to collect garbage? <laughs> like, right. And it was just this idea of um, why are we trended towards almost having these sterile home environments and, you know, where does that come from and, and how and how it makes us feel not human to not be surrounded by things that things. belong to us. Yeah. Like, yeah, like if you don't have things that you can say, this is mine and it, and someone can, if someone can walk into your house and then the person next door and they can't, um, like they can't tell the difference, then what does that do to your identity and all of that? Right. Stuff. It seemed a little, a little far-fetched to me, but um, yeah, but apparently it's a real thing people are thinking about. Yeah, I didn't see that in particular, but I did see a clip of I want to say it was a TED talk or like somebody's clip, but she was talking about how people will often root their identities in their things, right? So what yes. happens if you, you know, like you're a doctor or something, and you have, I don't or a lawyer, whatever, whoever you are, but you've made a lot of money. And you have this big house and you have a really nice car and then you lose your job or you become, uh, you know, you're in a car accident and then you can't work anymore. And those things are taken away from you. But that's what you've rooted your identity in. Then what happens to you as a person, right? So it, it was interesting that she said that because it's okay to have things and to want things like that's human. But like I was saying before, what value does it add to your life? Right, right. Does so it, it if it brings you joy or comfort or serves a specific purpose, that's great. It's it's fine to have things like mm-hmm. minimalism isn't about having nothing, right? It's about right. finding the purpose and value in what you do have and being purposeful about what you choose to purchase. So it's all about intentionality. And when we think in that way in our lives, we can do that in schools too, even though it feels like school is the complete opposite of minimalism because there's so much stuff. Like there's so many decisions that people make every day. There's so many programs that people have to look at. There's so much curriculum teachers have to cover. There's so many initiatives that administrators need to like weed through and make decisions about. But if we're intentional about 
the choices that we're making because we're thinking about the purpose of each thing, right? And the purpose of everything should have to do with student learning. So if whatever you're choosing doesn't enhance the learning environment or doesn't remove barriers to learning for students or doesn't make people love teaching or love learning, then it's not a good choice. Yeah, you're reminding me of some a couple of conversations I've had on this podcast recently, but um, in particular, just last week, I was talking to Tara Miller, who is a psychotherapist and a performance coach. And we, I mean, we talked about a lot of stuff that's related to this, but um, in particular, when when she works with teachers on mindfulness and um, kind of thinking thinking about their ability to self-regulate throughout a typical workday, you know, and how and, and thinking about what a teacher's day is like. Um, and anyone listening to this will know, like this echoes a lot, a, a couple of conversations I've had so far recently. And um, but how a teacher's day looks like starting at, you know, the second they step in their car to get to work. And a lot of it can feel like a rush from minute to minute. Yeah. And it's like, there's not just it's not just the clutter of the, you know, of what you're carrying with you physically and mentally, it becomes like, I don't know, there's like a clutter of of time, like building up and like, I don't have an it's feeling like you don't have enough, but yet feeling like there's so much. Um, and it becomes like a rush from minute to minute and in between classes. And like, what are you doing in between classes? And like, you know, we were talking about last week, how we have to really train ourselves to stop in those transitional moments. And yeah. it's not like you said before, perfectly, it's not about completely getting rid of everything or or calming or when we think of it mentally, it's not about, you know, people talk about meditation, not being completely wiping your brain free of thoughts, but it's about accepting the moment that you're in and thinking about how you can deal with it one moment at a time. And I'm just kind of making some connections there as we're talking about that idea of even just one day in your life going to work as an educator, how you approach that if you were to step back and say, I'm going to not rush through, you know, from first period to second period, I'm going to just see, think about what's in front of me and not what's on either side of me or on the desk next to me. And I'm just going to do the thing that's in front of me. And it sounds like almost like this babyish concept, but it's so hard. It is really hard. Very related, I think, to the way you're thinking about approaching physical space as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that sometimes we think about things too big also, right? We have to, like, one of the things that I do often is, like, just stop or pause. Because if I become, like, if I'm noticing like too much clutter or even like too many people around or too many thoughts going on in my head or I feel like my to-do list is too long, I just have to stop because I'm losing myself in all of that clutter and it could be physical, social, mental. And so if I actually just stop and that might mean like close my laptop or go outside for like a five minute walk. Well, my walks are never five minutes or like 90 minutes. But anyway, I know, you know, I just, <laughs> I just need to go outside. Because <laughs> there's some days where like, even though I live in Hawaii, I sometimes I'm inside all day on of like course. Zoom or whatever. 
And then it's like four o'clock. I'm like, this is the first time I'm going outside today. That's not okay. And when you take the time to just like think about the moment that you're in, right? And identifying, like you said, just kind of like identify it and recognize it. And then, okay, in this moment, I'm going to choose to not tend to this thought or like do that thing, but just stay in this moment. Because like, even if we think too far ahead, like, okay, at the end of this period, I'm not going to go run to the staff lounge to get coffee because that's going to take five minutes and I need five minutes to like just regroup. Mm -hmm. Sometimes even just thinking like that 45 minutes ahead is too much. So like making the decision in the moment sometimes is much easier and manageable. And it's kind of like even when people go on, you know, they go on eating plans or fitness plans and they're like, it's very overwhelming to think of something so futuristic, like, I, I'm going to have to, I can't ever eat bacon again. Like, this is going to be so hard. I can't ever yeah. have bacon again. Like, that's just not realistic, right? Like, just right. think about what your next decision is at your next meal and then feel good about that. And then, like, the next time you're going to eat, think about that. Like, you don't have to think so far ahead. And that's, like, really overwhelming, too. And that's how we feel as educators because... Like, think about pacing guides, right? We're mapping out the whole year and we need to do that to stay on track. Yes. But like, we can get so wrapped up. I'll give you a couple of the books that I've looked at. Okay. But um, one of them s- says like, the pacing guide is great, but it can also be the devil. Because like, if you get so wrapped up in it, you're not responding to your learners. And sorry, I'm like getting off track with this question, but it's like making totally my fine. thought stream, right? But like Mm -hmm. we can get so caught up in like what we have to do futuristically that we're losing sight of the purpose of what we're doing and like the value of like staying present and what that means for our students. Like if we're not present with our students, we're losing precious time with them. So like pay attention to them. They're right in front of you, you know, and yourself too. like pay attention to yourself. Yeah, and I think we're we're so used to as educators putting, you know, what's happening to the students or what they're experiencing first, but so much of what we're talking about today and also just in general in the concept of this show is how how poorly as adults we do all of these things and are we oh, being yeah. great models for the next generation or the generation after that? How are we putting, how are we showing up for ourselves in a way that we're not just doing it so that we can learn how to do it to teach our kids? Like we're doing it because we know that we need it first. Um, yeah. And then by extension, as we learn how to be better, it doesn't have to be just kids that we're modeling. It's anybody else like sees sees the way we change or the way our you know, the way when you're because any number of these things that we're mentioning, um, whether it's mental or physical or social, like how you said social before as well, like that when when you do start to see a shift in one of them, it like it's like a domino effect, all of Uh the other parts of you or your life start to shift as well. And so people notice that and it becomes like I talk about being models of attention. Um, because that was going to lead me into asking the next question about, which is probably, I don't, I don't know if it's something you even thought about, but we're going to work <laughs> through it right here live. Sure. <laughs> but, okay. Sounds um, good. Is, is there, 
like what is the intersection or how do um, attention and overstimulation intersect in like, do you think about attention and how that has to do with a lot when you think of when you talk about overstimulation and minimalism and, and even the physical environment of the classroom and all of those elements that go into the work that you're doing all the time? Um, like, do you ever think about or talk about attention as part of that? I was going to say like subliminally. That's a yeah, hard that's to say. probably what but, I was thinking. Yeah. 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 So like, cause the focus is on creating an environment that is not overstimulating. Right. And that's usually right. through like the colors we use or the things that are on the walls. But uh, in turn, like so when we're <laughs> paying attention to those things, then our learners and ourselves, we can attend better to the things that we actually need to pay attention to when we're not distracted by all the stuff that's hanging off the walls. So right. the the overstimulation part is, you know, the there when there's too much visual stimuli, it impacts our working memory because it's taking the space of what we actually need to be learning. And so um, a friend and I today, actually, we were writing a, a blog post about the use of color and spaces and aligning that to checkpoints for universal design for learning and how, you know, UDL is all about removing barriers to learning and creating access for every learner. And when we're thinking about how we're setting up spaces, they're often and we just spent a bunch of time like looking at pictures of classrooms and right. we're like, this is great this might scare a teacher because there's white space on a wall. Like, and, and then we, then I, I found an article about why white space scares us, right? Like that also right. creates a bit of anxiety because we think we need to fill it, but we don't. And then, yeah, we were looking at some other pictures like, wow, that's so overwhelming. Or like that design is a terrible choice for a classroom. Or like, why is every chair in the classroom a different color? Like, you know, we're asking all these questions and we're like, if there are kids in that room, where are they supposed to put their attention? It's really hard to know. Exactly. Right. And then, you know, the the teacher's attention is on it. I, I remember this well from teaching, like how often my attention was on just the stuff in my room and what I could add to it. <laughs> yeah. Like what I could yep. add or like, like, let's take or like, not even just add, but even just where things are and like, oh, I can't wait to take this thing down and replace it with this. But like, that's yeah. a, a similar thing. It's not removing it and keeping it removed. It's like uh, always thinking about what I was going to display or show or bring yeah. in or, you yeah. know, and it wasn't really always most of the time related to student work at all. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's that's common, right? Because yeah, because we want to have like a fun environment, which is great. But like something that when I taught New York, we often, you know, we had to be compliant and put certain things on our bulletin boards. But over time, we were able to shift what we were putting up. And so then the kids had more choice about what was going up. And it was more process work rather than just like, you know, mm -hmm. some published whatever. Yeah. yeah. And, and then also in Singapore, like, I've just, I did all the walls with the kids. So it's like, okay, you want to put that up? We're going to put that up in the word wall. Like, you know, there's designated spaces still, but they were the one, like we talked about what was going to go up there and what was going to be useful for them. 
And there was a like a few things at eye level for them that I was like, this is something you need to keep referring to. And, you know, when when the teacher is telling or telling isn't the right word, but like referring to the resources in the room and and sharing the purpose behind having some of those things up, then students are going to use that in a way, right. you know, then they're being used in the way that they should. And the space isn't just for decoration. Yeah. And I I was just thinking also of how you were saying before you were asking the question, where is the student's attention supposed to go? And I uh-huh. think even beyond that, if we're if we're actually thinking about those questions, questions like that, seriously, when we're setting up an environment where learning is meant to happen. I mean, I get excited thinking about you know, almost completely blank walls and Uh what it's like to have kids sitting in groups or at tables and and just have conversations. And, you know, to me, it's exciting to think about what we can do connecting as human beings when we're not so much thinking about what else is what's around us. Um, Uh And it's hard to even say that in a way that sounds inspiring, because I'm aware that that doesn't sound inspiring. But (laughs) I'm just thinking about when I when I do come across environment, even a work environment where it's it's just people, you know, people engaged with one another and the work that they're doing. It helps you place attention on becoming more attentive and intentional. And I think that's really hard to do. And I, I don't you know, people are still shying away, I think, from from how um, how important that is to do with children, I think. Yeah. Well, we can, unless there's something I was going to kind of transition into our ending segment, unless there's a few things that maybe you wanted to add to the end of this. I mean, there, there, there's so many thoughts, but I'll yeah. let's just let we can wrap up the segment and then, yeah, because there's yeah. just so many things we could talk about. Okay. So what we like to do towards the end of every episode is get a sense of what people are doing or reading or putting into their brains that sometimes has direct affiliation with the work that they do sometimes might on the surface seem like it has nothing to do with anything at all but that's okay because we want to get a sense a full picture of what it is that um Tammy is is doing and being as you walk around in the world <laughs> in some way so you can answer any one of these or um or none of them at all. <laughs> but is there anything that you are reading or watching or listening to, whether it's music or podcast, anything at all that you're putting into your brain recently that you would like us to know about? Yeah, I um, I do give my brain a break sometimes from, you know, reading education articles and things like that. So I I do like to listen to just fluffy books on audio when I'm walking mm-hmm. in the mornings. Um, and I'm, a, I'm terrible at remembering like titles and those fluffy books. No one needs to what they, know what they actually are, <laughs> but, but interdispersed in those, I do like listening to books too. And sometimes like I'll listen to it first and then get a paper copy so I can like mark it up depending oh, on the I book. Do that but, too. Yeah. yeah. But I, I like to listen to books by like Chip and Dan Heath. So like the power of moments and, um, making math count making math count i think that's the what it's called um and books about relationships and just like relationship building and like how to build cultures in organizations i find those really interest it's interesting to listen to the different authors perspectives like 
but also listen to the similarities in cultures. So I do like hearing about examples of culture building in different organizations. So I don't, I don't always just read or listen to books about education, but like organizationally, that's kind of where I'm, I'm at lately. I might have uh, the way you're describing that is reminding me of a few different books about community building that I've read in the last couple of years that I might recommend to you because it's a similar, not just organizational, but really a, can apply to any setting. Yeah. Um, just, just the way, you know, what makes people want to be part of something bigger than themselves, that kind of a mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Um, I like that. So I, I love reading things like that and it, because it all, all of it, no matter what you're reading it for, comes down to relationships and the way people uh-huh. interact yeah. with one another intentionally. Anything else? I've been hesitant to commit to like binge watching like Ted Lasso or some other good shows that I've been on. And I know that everybody loves them, but I'm kind of like that late person to the party mm-hmm. where, you know, in probably five years, I'll wa- binge watch all of Ted Lasso. Oh, like, why didn't I watch thing. that before? You know, because everybody's talking about it and I know it's great. Um, but yeah, I'm not really watching anything right now. And I do, but I do rewatch movies a lot because I like background noise. So I just put on like nonsense Me in too. the background. And podcasts, I'm not really listening to any podcasts right now. I kind of go through cycles where I'll listen to like a bunch of them, like uh, Science mm-hmm. Versus. I really like listening to because I like sciencey things. And I was listening to The Office Ladies for a while. So, you know, kind of a range of things, but I haven't listened to anything recently. That's because you're too busy with the fluff, <laughs> right? Yes, I need the fluff. <laughs> you do, um, especially in a morning walk. Now you're making me uh-huh. want to start doing something like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so now we actually are at our final question. And we like to ask people to leave us with, if you can, some way that you think about attention or practicing better attention that works for you that you see or feel results at? Like, what do you do to, or how do you know that you are being being more attentive than than perhaps you were before? Like, you could take this to be any way that you want, but um, is there a method of attention or practicing attention that you would recommend? Yeah, I I need to get outside every morning or whenever possible. So like mm-hmm. the morning walk that I do and some like it's not always 90 minutes, but even if it's half an hour and most of the time I'll listen to a book, but sometimes I just need to not listen to anything. And for me, that's a good tuning in time where I I'm not listening to music or a book and I just need to like observe the my surroundings to just just kind of be mentally clear. And so that's one of the things that I I know works for me and I can take it to varying degrees, right? So it's the quick mm-hmm. outside for five minutes or the 90-minute walk with a book. But that's that's my way of like just really tuning into myself and preparing myself for whatever I need to do. And I like that you're not just saying you step outside to just clear your head because it's specific to being out in the environment and paying attention to the details of that environment. Yeah. And I think that that when you do that and you're not doing or attempting to do three other things at once, Uh like you're not on a phone call while walking, you're not 
you know, I could be walking two giant dogs at the same time while trying to hike up like a steep cliff and, you know, texting or listening to a podcast. And it's like, even that, all of those things seem normal to be doing on a walk, but it's doing all those things. Yeah. Um, And it's not just focusing on like breathing and looking at what's around you. And it makes a huge difference. It does. It does. And I think too, because sometimes like if I start texting while I'm walking and then I look up, like I try to keep my phone up, right? So I can see if there's cars or people or whatever. But I'll think, you know, after that five minutes or whatever, I'm like, how did I even get here? Like I didn't even enjoy that walk just now because I wasn't even paying attention to it. And I like, I like looking at like, what are the little dead carcasses on the road? Like how many frogs have been run over and like what flowers are blooming now? And you totally miss that if like you're, it's one thing if you're just listening to a book and you're looking around, right? But I also mm-hmm. do like listening to the birds and like the the traffic even. Like it's just such a different experience when you're just paying attention to like the one thing. Yeah, well, well what you're what you just mentioned is a different focus of attention because if your purpose mm-hmm. is to listen, you might be sitting yeah. outside listening to something. And that's where your attention is, but you're also just following a bird flying around. And that's a different way of enjoying outside. But yeah, that intentional walk um, makes such a big difference. We've talked about that on on this show too. Like when my mind has been like, not even just my mind going crazy, but knowing that I'm perpetuating it because I'm going outside and, and walking, but still holding my phone. If I just don't, if I just focus on like the leaves... <laughs> It's like yeah. I'm a little nuts, but it becomes addict. That becomes addictive. Of like, wow, yeah. my heart rate just slowed down, uh-huh. and it's like continuing to slow down. And I like your shoulders relax, and suddenly, like, oh yeah, I live in the world. I don't right. I don't live in like this weird screen world where everything is flying by really quick. Um, right. Anyway, okay. I could go on and on about this, and I yeah. obviously am. <laughs> but um, th- thank you so much for being able to do this conversation today, Tammy. And before we go, I would like for you to share any way that you would like people to get in touch with you. Where do you live the most on social media? And is there a website or something that you would um, recommend people visit if they want to find out more about your work? Yeah, thanks for having me, Sarah. It was great conversation. Um, uh, people can find me at uh, on Twitter or Instagram, and my handle is at Plan Z, like zebra, um, PLS. And then my email is Tammy, T A M M Y, at Plan Z, PLServices.com. And my website is Plan Z Services.com. That's it. Okay. And we will have all of that all those links in the show notes as usual so uh, everything will be accessible and clickable for people to follow and find you um and thanks again for coming out tonight coming out tonight like we're out somewhere (laughs) we are we are i hope you are leaving this conversation thinking about the spaces that you inhabit and what they contribute to your overall well-being and attention How can you minimize distractions to bring more engagement with the life in front of you? You can let us know by leaving a comment on Substack, a review in Apple Podcasts, and you can reach me on Twitter at scandela9. You can listen and subscribe to The Optimalist Podcast wherever you love listening to great podcasts. 
New episodes are released every Wednesday. Links to all of these resources are available in the show notes. The Optimalist podcast is brought to you by Engageable, the only app that gives you the mindful pulse you need for better attention. And it's free. Create an account today at getengageable.com or by downloading Engageable on any iOS or Android device. You can also follow us at getengageable on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening to The Optimalist. I'll be back next week with a new conversation. Stay engaged.